You want to find your tribe of raving fans. And that's just what we're here to help you do. This is the Digging Deep Podcast with 360 Media, where we help entrepreneurs build better businesses by not only sharing insights and candid conversations, but by nurturing our minds as well. Get ready to explore, plan, and showcase your business, because here we go. Here's your host, Chief Strategist of 360 Media and Educator at TacticalProgram.com, Justin Lamb. Hey, podcast listeners, thank you for tuning in again to Digging Deep, where I help business owners build a better business. And today I'm being joined by a gentleman named Dane. Dane, how are you today? I am fantastic. Uh, always wanted to say this. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Oh, you're very <laughs> welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. Uh, for the people who are listening in, um, can you maybe share who you are and what you do? Yeah, for sure. I am an uh, employee benefits salesman. Um, that's called the bread and butter of what we do in our company. Uh, we also have the specific or the exclusive contract for the Chambers of Commerce plan, which is nice. That's a pool plan. So good option to have in the toolkit. And then on top of that, uh, personal insurance. So life insurance, critical illness, disability. Uh, that's all the wheel. That's all in the wheelhouse. We're a uh, form of financial is a, a boutique firm. You could call it based out of Vancouver. We have about a six person team and, uh, hope to grow down the line, but uh, that's just a little bit about me. Yeah. Cool. And where did that journey start? How did you get Ooh, into that yeah. industry? And you know, you know, what things just transpired to to kind of get you to where you are today? The the journey of the man story. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, my my background is not insurance in a sense. Um, my dad uh, has been a life insurance life insurance salesman for thirty five to forty years. Um, he's Let's just put it this way. He's in Palm Springs now. He's he's dialed it back, so he's kind of living he's living uh, that aspect of it, that portion of his life out now, which is great. But um, I guess to an extent, you could say it does kind of run in the blood. It always made sense for me to jump into that line of business, just because. Well, he, after forty years, you've you're able to compile quite a bit, you know, significant book of business. So it always made sense to uh, to an extent fall in his foot footpaths because again, knew there'd be a good opportunity there. Uh, that said, my sort of educational background uh, is in environmental sustainability and urban studies from, from UBC. Um, interesting, certainly, and a really cool experience uh, that certainly sort of honed a certain level of my skills that I'm able to bring to the table today. Not a heck of a lot necessarily, but um, I think I think all things considered, I still have a number of friends from, from that program and they're all doing really well. Things like city planners. And I, you know, I, I look at that and it sort of makes you wonder what your life could have been if you had sort of followed on one, one path versus, you know, where I'm ultimately at today. So after sort of that, I, I took time off. I traveled, I did the whole Southeast Asia five months with some buddies, um, Australia, came back and then okay what, what am I going to do now I, <laughs> I've kind of I've kind of done the the fun part of the, the traveling and the backpacking the experiences I have a bit of an educational background now but is this what I want to do in terms of a career um, I think I sort of decided pretty early on it's probably not something I would I, I, I would pursue so at that point I said okay well um, heard some good things about BCIT uh, British Columbia Institute of technology for those who don't know, so I enrolled in the two-year final financial plan, uh, financial planning diploma program. Uh, for all, I mean, a very very intensive course load. Um, I didn't have much of a social life for those two years that I was there. 
Um, I, I know that sounds kind of crazy. Just like school can't be that busy, but um, it, it really was. It was a, a hectic uh, two-year experience, but I got through it. Um, sorry, there's something going off here in the background. Um, in any events, yeah. So got through the uh, got through the BCIT portion of that, and um, you know forged some really good relationships at that time. That I still, you know, am in touch with it. Daily basis. So the financial planning aspect of it, um, and again, that was sort of the uh, the main brunt of the program, is not something I really pursued too long after BCIT. I did work alongside a financial planner for about a year and a half at uh, Hollis Wealth, which is sort of a division of Scotia Bank. Good experience and all, but I kind of realized uh, I don't think I quite have um, thick enough skin to manage people's money, in a sense. So um, that was really all it took for me to realize that was something that I don't see myself doing long term. Um, the advisor I worked with, definitely not the case. You know, she, she was cool with being able to navigate the ups and downs of the, of the market, and what it is, um, and all the kudos, to, you know, all, all the praise to her for doing that. Um, and it wasn't until I got introduced through a friend, uh, through my, my, one of my close friends worked for two financial advisors. Turns out those two financial advisors that my friend worked for had a buddy back from their days where they worked together, sort of came up together 30 years ago under the London Life Insurance Program, learning the, the learning the trade, you know, the learn, learning the ropes. And um, they heard he was looking for something of a like a junior advisor to sort of come under him. And I turned out to be that person. And you know, we, we ended up locking down something of a relationship. And I've, you know, fast forward, I've been here for five years and um, it was a really good decision and I see myself being here for a number of years and um, you know at this point in my career I've really been able to hone in on sort of my niche within group benefits which has allowed me to um, I, I think it's all about that finding a niche and being able to specialize within your own sector is huge and I, I feel like I'm, I'm I'm doing that now and I'm still certainly crafting that but that's kind of where I find myself at this at this stage in my career so yeah oh and so now, group benefits is uh, is an interesting animal. I mean, you yeah. know, I think a lot of people see group benefits for bigger companies uh, in general, um, and and so the mom and pop shops don't necessarily, you know, look or buy into the whole idea. So, you know, maybe you can share with the people who are listening here what are sort of the advantages of, uh, you know, group benefits, or you know, when when should a business owner maybe look at group benefits um, you know, as an option to, you know, bolster their, the attraction level of their, of their business? Yes. Good question. So that, that's, it's an interesting question in the sense that um, sometimes a business just gets to the point where they're like, oh, I, I need to offer something because this person's going to leave <laughs> like specifically like a, like a quality employee where they're, so yeah, that's, that's the biggest, the biggest aspect ultimately of the group benefits plan is retention of, hopefully quality people and attracting quality people. Now, is it the sort of be all end all when an employee's maybe um, deciding going one way versus the other, like two potential companies? No, it's not the be all end all, but it's certainly, I think the, the quality of a benefits plan, it says a little bit about the culture and what they're trying to create. Like if they have certain aspects of the plan that um, are a little more flexible or maybe a bit more geared towards say things like mental health, um, I think that speaks volumes about the, you know, the business owner and what they're looking to offer and being able to uh, 
supply to their staff versus another business owner who might not take those things as seriously and just want to have a plan in place so they can say they have a plan in place, right? Versus actually putting something in place that's going to legitimately benefit the staff and the people who are most important in making that company run, you know, the engineers, the employees, right? So in, in terms of like specifically a, a, a timing, I think one way to look at it is like for, like for what my niche kind of is, which is startup. It's like, okay, well, when they have received some, some level of financing, I think that really is going to um, sort of move the needle for some employees. Um, it's generally speaking, not the first thing that an entrepreneur, you know, they, they live, they live and breathe their company, right? Like they, they don't want to have to look at something if they just don't want to spend some on time on something like insurance <laughs> in general. So um, when the time comes, and again, maybe that's, that's something like financing, then at that time, that's usually when they do want to pull the trigger. Um, and, you know, when I do work with business owners, some are much more involved in the process. Some are more like, what's industry competitive? What do you think makes sense for us based on what you've seen in our demographics? And then we'll sort of go from there. Um, I certainly like to have my input on when I do work with business owners and say what I think makes sense. And, you know, bottom line, something being industry competitive is important, right? Because if they're shopping around an employee that is, then yeah, you want to know that you're, what you're offering is something that uh, might be enticing, right? So. And so, I mean, traditionally in, in the world of group benefits, it was, you know, um, medical, dental, um, you know, physio, massage. Yeah. Uh, and, and I know that you just recently, just, uh, just now just mentioned mental health. Um, and so, you know, my question is, is what's evolved over the last few years through group benefits and in the industry and, you know, what's being covered, what's being offered uh, and the way that maybe you form plans? Yeah. So yeah, good question. So like, I'll touch, I'll try to touch on the mental health piece in particular to start. So um, there have been traditional aspects of benefit plans that are looked that look to address mental health. What I will say is is one, they're being used a lot more now, and we're getting asked about them a significant amount more, even than we otherwise would have like two to three to four years ago. Because we do get to see plan usage when we go through these renewals with clients, and I'm you know I'm keen to point certain things out. Like in the end, they want to make sure their ROI on certain benefits is actually is good, right? So when they when they look and see that like a registered psychologist or, or an RCC, a registered clinical counselor, like those have been used by the staff and they can see that. Um, again, totally confidential, but as a macro view, you can see plan usage. That's really promising, right? And like those are numbers that I've seen go up every year, specifically over the last you know twelve months. Given obviously what has happened, um, those benefits are more important now than ever tantamount really um but to sort of complete the circle like the first thing is you know something like an employee assistance program eap they're called those those have been getting some buzz certainly in general um business owners typically would know what they are and are asking about them more if they don't already have one and um i mean eaps were initially invented put together in like the 1940s for um alcohol abuse that was really the initial reason to sort of start a platform like that to have on a benefits plan boy have those results like you know those have evolved in a big way right the, the, the substance abuse is obviously still part of it um but there are a slew of other things that you can incorporate into an eap that can help address an individual's problems whatever they might be right i mean anything from personal legal work-related dependent problems elder care uh, of course addiction um even things like nutritional counseling. Um, so it, it, even financial planning, like there's, there's some, like, I believe one is 
uh, Homewood Health, I want to say it is, they offer even things like financial planning. So there are specifically some EAP providers that really do offer a pretty extensive list of things in terms of like, how can we help these employees of these companies? And they're affordable too. Like the, the EAP is an affordable piece. It's anywhere in the range of $3 to $6 per employee per month. Um, so if you have 10 staff, it's going to be in the range of like $50 per month to have that on the plan. And I, I think um, it's, it's a pretty invaluable feature. You know, it, it, there's hard to say how much utilization there is in general. I think it's probably on the lower end, maybe five to 10%, but it's there, right? And just the mere fact that you have a business owner have set that up and have shown that you, you care enough to at least offer and have these on the platform is important. Um, what, I've, what I've found is I think a lot of the issues with specifically the mental health pieces and maybe even tied to an EAP is like barriers to entry, not knowing how to use these tools. EAP is really simple. I mean, it's simply a matter of calling a number, having your like employee benefit certificate number ready, and then they're going to talk to you based on that conversation, which is 100% confidential, they're, they're going to divert you to the individual who they think amongst their sort of team of counselors is going to be the right person to talk to you for whatever your issue might be. So just given the, um, the privacy and the confidentiality of it and the simplicity of use, I think it's a pretty good tool. And I hope, I hope it's explained to staff that it is that easy to use. That's like I'm doing a presentation tomorrow for staff who have EAP, but their business owner thinks it's not getting used as much as it should be. So these are kind of things, right? Um, and aside from EAP, again, as I mentioned, that's been around for some time. Um, there's some pretty cool things happening right now, specifically, really specifically since the pandemic hit. 90, roughly 90% of business owners in a recent like wellness report I read, roughly 90% of business owners want to invest more into mental health. So there's no doubt about it that this is going to be a big part of benefit plans going forward. And I think for the ones that don't offer something, they're going to get left behind, honestly. I think staff and in general, um, prospective hires are going to be looking at things like what's on the benefits plan to address mental health more than, more than ever, for sure. It, that really wasn't a key factor going back a handful of years, I think more and more now than ever and going forward, it will be. So I'm like, for me, for example, I've been working, um, I introduced to them about uh, say two months ago and I've been working with them and introducing my clients, the ones that I managed to him. And his name is Sean Burke and he, he's the founder of checking in, which is a sort of daily checking in app. Essentially you open up the app and it asks you how you're feeling. You have one word to associate with how you're feeling and What's your number? Like energy level, uh, eight out of 10 kind of thing. Then sort of brings you to um, some meditative breathing, breathing techniques. So it's a, it's a self-awareness tool, but it's also a very in the moments, how can I make myself feel better? And it's a consistent thing you check in with every, every day. And like, that's something that, although not every staff member might use it, I think just to have it um, as an option there, can, a nice thing to sort of augment the more traditional mental health tools that do exist on the platforms. But things like this, you're going to see more tools like that be incorporated into benefits plans, whether they're tied from the insurance company or sort of a third party like checking in is, um, and they are in talks with some insurance companies to even incorporate them with EAPs. So there are some things happening. Again, it's not, it's not perfect. None of this stuff's perfect, but they're, they are making stri like strides in the right way. And I think checking in is a great example of that. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, the other part of it is there's a social stigma related to mental health and reaching yes. out and that yes. level of vulnerability, um, you know, I think by its very nature, I think people fear maybe that information will get back to the uh, yeah. business owner or like that there's a real problem there. And of course, then, you know, that maybe their livelihood or, and, and stuff is on the line. So, you know, of course, we have to deal with that. Um, now, in terms of... Uh, 
a common question I think I've I've heard lots of business owners talk about is is you know the usage of plans, right? I think yep. um, you know traditionally people try to you know when they sold it, um, they're sold at a sort of lower price point, um, you know, lower usage, um, you know, numbers, and of course that escalates over time, and then the person, you know, the owners, you know, freaking out is like, holy cow, I've got to pay more and more. Um, you know, what what has changed in that environment? Has it changed at all? Um, you know, what are some you know ways that you particularly maybe deal with you know that concern for for an employer? Yeah, I mean, first off, you know your stuff. You, you sound, yeah, like that's that's the typical when a business owner hears benefits, they're like, oh, inconsistent costs, volatility. Like those are those are the words that I think often come to mind. Um, and I mean, you can look at it this way, like all the major insurance players that you've heard of, and that's going to be like Manulife, Sun Life, Blue Cross, perhaps Green Shield. Uh, really how they operate is like, okay, we're going to give, as you said, we're going to give you a really good offer right off the bat. They'll all come in, you know, maybe within five to 10% of each other, but you're going to get a good offer on the table if you don't have an existing benefit plan. Um, after 15 months, depending on how much it gets used, and they do have, obviously, these are based on numbers. They do look at the usage. They do factor in the new rates that they're proposing based on your usage. So it's not like it's a guaranteed 20% increase. It totally does depend on how much the plan is used. That said, um, a typical first year renewal, you're going to see for example, dental gets used quite heavily. It's just, it's just the nature of it. People want to get their teeth taken care of when they haven't been able to or don't want to pay out of pocket prior to having a plan. So it's not abnormal to see things like a 20 to 30 to 40 to like at the absolute worst, like 90 to 100% increase. It can happen. Um, and you might say that sounds absolutely ludicrous. But if you think about it from the perspective that like if you specifically have a small business of say like five to eight employees and one of them, you know, unfortunately has a really expensive prescription, like maybe it's a cancer medication that's not covered by the government. They have to run that through the plan. In the end, the way, the way it is, it's like the insurance company is still paying out claims, right? So they still certainly have profit margins. It's not like the plan can be used as much as, as, much as possible and they're going to have the same rates. Like in the end, they can operate at a loss. And in many cases they do. Like if, if they're going to pay out more in claims than the company with the benefits is paying them in monthly premium, then they're good, they can justifiably increase the rates. So that that certain car carriers that are like experience rated, like the ones I'd named, basically experience rated, meaning that your future rates are completely dictated by your plan usage in the past. So based on their numbers, if they're going to propose a 40% increase, that's just how those companies operate. Um, that will be the situation with those companies going forward. Like if you have a low claiming group in general and you don't see those massive jumps, then the beauty of it is you have the best rates you're going to get anywhere, right? Like that's the thing. If you don't have a high claiming group, experience rated is the best way to go. Um, it's kind of like, I guess, in a sense, having like a variable mortgage where you don't really, you don't really know which way it's going to go in an extent. It's based on economic conditions as opposed to like plan usage. But um, on the flip side, and something I had uh, alluded to earlier, it's like, for example, the Chambers of Commerce plan, which is one that we um, do have the contract for. It's a pooled plan. So you don't get singled out for your plan usage. You have a lot more leeway in terms of how many claims or how much how many claims can be run through the plan. Um, just much more leeway. So when we, for example, do run into a business owner, or maybe we get a, a lead to the Chambers platform saying, like, you know, do you have an existing plan? If they say yes, ninety percent of the time it's because they're they're reaching out to us because their plan went from here to out, out of the screen kind of thing, right? Like it literally blew up. So. 
um, what we can then offer is, you know, hopefully better rates now, and then a promise of much greater stability down the road. Is it perfect? No, but you have a lot more leeway in terms of your claims. So that that's it, the pooled plans in general are, are a very good place to start looking. Um, if you do have one of these groups where it's like, wow, am I sick of having to look at a renewal, go up 30% one year, like 50 the next, 20 the next. The inconsistency of it all can be very annoying from like a business owner, plan administrator side of things. So when we like, honestly, when we do set up groups with with the chamber's plan, our retention ratio is in the range of 97%. Like once they're on it, they don't leave because they don't have to worry about it. Um, it's clockwork, which is great. So um, in in general, like, yeah, if you have a plan that's, that's going to cost you a lot, you should consider going to something like a pooled plan. That's that's sort of the best way to look at it. Um, and, you know, that that's speaking to a traditional benefits plan with your health and dental and your set limits. There are certainly other plans that we deal with, and, you know, companies do like, specifically like the tech startup. They like these flexible plans that can offer um, a bit more, like if I want to spend more at RMT instead of being limited to 500 or 300 edge traditional plan, I can give them like health spending account flex dollars and they can take $2,000 and spend it all on RMT if they, if they want to do that. So th those are things like that where it makes it a little easier to budget um, from a business owner perspective where it's like, here's, here's $2,000, spend it how you want. You do that. You don't really have to worry about this every year because you know, you're giving them $2,000, right? So. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so with, um, group benefits plan, you know, what is the advantage of having a benefits plan versus say a health spending plan? Um, yeah. you know, are they, are they different? Are they the same? You know, what, what is the difference and how do you use that? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. And like, that's a question I, I usually have to find myself sort of bringing up because I think everything people hear about health spending accounts and like wellness accounts, wellness being like, you know, gym passes, yoga, yoga class, you can run a lot of things through wellness wellness platforms, which is which is great, and those are growing in general. Um, so, you can look at it this way: like the wellness account, the wellness and health spending account, more so the health spending account, are great because you give them a level of flexibility that you wouldn't otherwise have on the more traditional benefit plan. I, I'd say the younger the demographic, generally. So, some of these tech and startup companies I work with, they'll be like, where is the downside in something like a health spending account? It's awesome. Like, I can just take $2,000 and I could use it here. Like, and again, like, they, it's flexible in the sense that, like, if you have, say, major dental work, which isn't covered on a traditional benefits plan, just based upon the makeup on the plan itself, you could take that $2,000 and you could even spend it on Invisalign. So, there's a much greater level of flexibility and extensiveness of the list on things you can spend on it. That said, and this goes back to what the purposes of a benefits plan is like, yeah. Okay. A benefits plan has the health and dental. Those are the user benefits. That's what people want. When I do information sessions, you bet that's going to what they, they want to hear about that. They don't want to hear about the life insurance they have because that's just, <laughs> no one wants to talk about that stuff until something bad happens. If assuming they're still around. Um, and then three is well, number two really is like benefits that are, that are benefits in place that are meant to help uh, protect an employee's income. If something happens to them, not talking life insurance, that's a death benefit, but things like critical illness, disability insurance. So if I'm sidelined for, you know, with the benefits plan, it'd be about 120 days or more. Um, if I have long-term disability, I'm going to now start receiving a monthly non-taxable salary from the insurance company as long as I'm considered disabled under the care of a doctor and they do deem me unable to go back to my job. So I'm going to have an income coming in to help me make, you know, 
hit my expenses and maintain standard of living as well as I can. Um, on the flip side, to go back to the health spending account, there really isn't anything like that within a health spending account. Sure, it's great. It's great for the for the health, extended health and the dental piece. It's fantastic because of the flexibility. But you are completely, um, you know, you're completely leaving out the, the fact that if something happens from a health perspective, there's nothing, there's nothing in place there to help you out. Because I mean, think about it, like after something happens to you, you might have EI coverage, and that'll pay, there's a one week waiting period, and then it'll pay out 15 weeks up to a maximum of about 850 bucks per week taxable. And then after 15 weeks, there's nothing. And what if you're going to be disabled for a long time? I mean, the average disability that lasts more than four months is in the range of two and a half to three years on average, significant portion of time. So if you have no sort of income coming in after 15 weeks, uh, that's that's going to get pretty scary. And you're already in a very tough position the way it is based on however your health situation is going at the time. So to me, long-term disability is probably one of the most undervalued or overlooked Overlooked would probably be the better word aspect of a benefits plan. You just don't get that when you're talking about strictly flex dollars to be spent on, you know, vision, dental health. So um, I think I think the workaround to that is like, well, is there a middle ground? And yeah, there is. Like if you if you don't feel like you need the traditional set limit health dental on the traditional plan, fill that in. You know, fill that in with the, uh, the self-insured plan, which is the health spending account, for example. And then if you want to carve out a piece on the outside for a disability and maybe say critical illness, which is a similar product, but a bit different. Um, you can do that. So you're like, okay, here's my health and dental. I have it through the spending accounts. And then for these uh, living benefit, like disability, critical illness, I have it on the outside. Best of both worlds. Fantastic. And yeah. so, you know, what is, uh, you know, what, what, what do you notice as a general trend in terms of size of, of company before people really start to engage in to that group benefits plan, whether it would be with the Chambers of Commerce or whether it be purchased uh, as a sole, sole entity? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. So um, Chambers plan is unique to an extent in the sense that it is strict. It is meant to be a small business plan. So it's, it's really cool because I, I have the ability to work with self-employed individuals, like sole proprietors, uh, you know, law holding companies, doctors who have a holding company, uh, any sort of numbered company, contract workers. So if you're self-employed, Chambers Plan can actually work with you, which is great. The typical benefits provider, like a Manulife Blue Cross, you need at least three employees to even set something up. So Chambers is extra flexible in the sense that they can give you a one-person plan, which is really cool. So I get a lot of leads just through that alone. And, um, talking to people who don't realize they even have an avenue to get a quality benefits plan through chambers that you might have if you were an employee with a company of 40 people, right? So good level of flexibility there. But in general, once you do hit three people, you can set up a traditional benefits plan, no questions asked, no health questions asked. So pre-existing conditions are, for all intents and purposes, out the window. They, they don't matter. Um, there's no anti-selection involved in, in, with an insurance company once there's, well, there's never anti-selection, but there's certainly never anti-selection. Once you hit three people, they can't look at your health regardless. You're going to have full access to the plan like any other person. So in, in general, um, when do people start looking? I, I think I think when they're, so it's kind of like two ways to look at it. It's like one, they have an established group of people. Maybe it's like three to five, um, might be a couple founders mixed in there. And then they have a couple key employees who have helped them sort of grow this thing up to wherever it, wherever it is at that point. They just want to have benefits for them because they feel like they've 
help them get to where they are and they just want to be able to offer something. And a lot of the time, just for the sake of budgetary purposes, a health spending account's a good place to start because it you, you know exactly what you're going to offer them, right? So it's a little more simple as opposed to like the rate stability down the, down the line with the benefits plan. Um, and then on the second side, I'd say, I think once something from a business experience, something positive happens, maybe maybe they sign a new clients um, and they're starting to grow, uh, revenues increasing, whatever it might be, um, or they maybe receive some financing. Anything at that sort of point in time, and they know they're going to start growing as a company, it's then oftentimes when you start looking at it, like, okay, we're actively trying to pursue talented people on the market. How do we do that? Okay, well, we better get a better benefits plan. Because like, spe like specifically, if I'm talking with companies that are trying to find software developers, good luck. Like <laughs> you're not going to match Amazon, specifically Amazon, Microsoft, who can pay whatever, 20, 25, 30% more or whatever they want to if they really want someone. So having to compete with companies like that uh, is difficult. So there does come a point where the benefit plan certainly matters um, to an extent. And uh if it, anything that can help you sort of stand out a little bit. And that really does, aside from benefits plan, obviously a company trying to stand out to, to a perspective who's looking, say, at Amazon as an offer, be like, well, I could work at Amazon, get paid, you know, 160 as a developer, but I can only pay them like 130. I, I think in the end, your, your sort of sale as a, as a business owner or your advantage of working with you, come check out our office, see our culture. Like we have a culture that I think is... Um, you know, top top to bottom sort of culture all the way through starting at the C-suite and down. Like, I, th I think the culture plays a huge part in that if they can't really you know, match the, the offers kind of thing. So that's, you know, part and parcel to the benefits, but for sure. Yeah. Mm, fantastic. And, um, you know, long-term wise, I think uh, people who are, you know, growing their businesses, I mean, it's an attraction tool of, of sorts. Yeah. And, um, you know, when when you're at a point and you're, you're thanking your, your employees for, you know, helping you grow your business. I mean, it is something valuable to, to look into. And I think a lot of people just have that circling fear of an extra expense and extra yeah. cost. Now, you know, from a tax perspective, are there any benefits for the employer uh, tax wise and incentive wise to have a group's benefit plan? Another good question. Yeah. I mean, there certainly is. Yeah. I mean, whether you're, even if you're self-employed and you have like a, really basic individual health and dental plan, which is another product altogether. You can write that off as a, as a self-employed individual, but as a business owner, if you're setting up like a traditional uh, extended health plan with all the, you know, all the bells and whistles and it say it's for five people and it costs a thousand dollars per month, um, that a thousand dollars per month allotted to the benefits plan and ultimately paid on a monthly basis to the insurance company, that is a business write-off certainly. So whether it's a traditional benefits plan with a set monthly premium, or if you're going to say offer a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars, whatever the number might be, as a health, you know, spending account flex allotment, also a write off to the business, which is nice. So that is that does make it a helps move the needle a little bit just to have that, uh, you know, the ability to write it off. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I think uh, anybody who's listening here would have got a really good dose and a really good, uh, you know. Uh, Group Benefits Planning 101 uh, course today. Um, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, um, maybe learn a little bit more about you, um, you know, where would they be able to then maybe connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'll start with 
yeah, just by my email, for example. So the firm I do work with is Informa Financial. Uh, yeah, got it right there. Informa, I-N-F-O-R-M-A. And my name, of course, is Dane. So yeah, Dane at informafinancial.ca is my, my email and my phone number. If uh, you want to text, call, whatever, I'm easy. 604-374-0753. Amazing. And for those people who are listening, I'll put that into the description below so you can connect with Dane and if you reach out if you have any questions about getting a group NS, get group benefits plan or even you know more information about the Chamber of Commerce plan uh, and he'll be able to help you out with there. So one thing I like to ask all my guests before we end the show is uh, what is a book or a resource that has deeply impacted your career or your life uh, up to date? Yeah, you, you did warn me to ask that question. I, I, was, I was thinking about it and um... Oh, it's such a good question, which something came to mind really quick. But I guess, oh man, this is a terrible answer. But the internet's just been a savior to me, honestly. Like it's just a terrible answer. But like, any, I, I just like being able to bookmark something when I haven't. Like that's what I do. I mean, I, I search something, I forget that I search it, I bookmark it, and these things come back. And when I'm able to use bookmarks, that just saves my life. It's a terrible answer because I don't have a specific book that I really have sort of utilized and, you know, um, fallen back on sort of when I needed it. But uh, my answer is Internet Explorer bookmarks. So that's going to be very valuable to everyone watching this. So. Fantastic. Well, I mean, the internet is really cool as a tool. I like to use Google Keep. Um, yeah. Copy paste and uh, put those things in in Google Keep, and you'll be able to search and and add the tags that you need to in case you forget what you're looking for in terms of a bookmark. Because you know you get a lot of bookmarks uh, if you're if you're searching around the internet all the time. But thank you so much for joining me today yeah. on the show, and I really do appreciate your time. And uh, for all the people listening, thank you for your patronage, and I really do appreciate you. And we'll see you next week. Thank you, Justin. We want to thank you for listening to the Digging Deep Podcast with 360 Media. Your time is valuable, and we're deeply humbled that you are spending this time with us. We'd love to connect with you. Find us on Instagram at 360photo and at Tactical Titans. You can also email us. We want to make this channel great, something you enjoy and find tons of value in. Send us your insights to info at 360photo.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It helps us reach more listeners. As always, tune in next week as we dig deeper into business and marketing.